everybody. We're ready to start our second lesson in the series, The Life You've Always Wanted But Need Spiritual Discipline to Obtain. The second uh, element to uh, gaining that life that we all want is the, uh, is the act of celebration. I was thinking about some of the celebrations in my personal life. And I remember uh, my 13th birthday. My mom and dad uh, were very excited to give me a, 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 my first real piece of jewelry, a, a nice little ring. But the thing I was most excited about was uh, Elvis Presley's Blue Hawaii album. Um, and there was quite a celebration that went on at my house for that album. Fast forward to my 40th birthday, and I remember a friend threw me a huge party. There were 50, 60 people in my house, and I felt incredibly loved. I think of some anniversaries uh, in my ministry, um, the 20th and the 25th and the 30th anniversary of Sony Brook Christian Schools. Wow, those were great celebrations. Celebrations are a time when we get to honor uh, somebody, either by a solemn ceremony or maybe a, a more fun uh, celebration, a uh, festivity. It's a way to show some pleasure. It's something that's really important to us. But uh, Richard Foster, in his great book, uh, sees celebration as part of corporate spiritual disciplines, that learning how and when and in what way to do biblical or spiritual celebrations is part of the development of spiritual disciplines. And I, and I would agree with that, both as a corporate expression and also as a personal one. I want to think through some biblical examples of, of spiritual uh, uh, celebrations. And, and the first category I thought of were memorials. Um, when we think of memorial, we think of someone that's passed away and maybe we get together and, and remember their life or um, perhaps there's a memorial to, to their life, either a headstone somewhere if they're buried or, or maybe statues of, of them in, in a courtyard somewhere. But but a memorial in the in the Bible was a, a as a was a tangible way to remember something, to rehearse something, to to mark it as important. And the first one I thought of was Jacob in Genesis twenty eight, and um, God is making certain certain to have a, a personal time with Jacob there. His his covenant was being renewed with him, and he, and he has a dream and a vision. And at the end of the, uh, the time of that dream and vision in in uh, Genesis 28, let me turn there. There's a, a cool thing that, that uh, Jacob does. It says uh, in verse number oh, 18 or so, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on it and he called the place Bethel. He made it in essence a, a place of sacrifice uh, by pouring the oil on, on that one stone. He was, he was marking the place where that incredible dream and vision happened. And then Joshua does the same thing when the, when the children of Israel are, are passing over the River Jordan on their way into the Promised Land in uh, Joshua chapter 4. And in that incredible passage, he, he has them doing something kind of odd. He says, I want you to go and uh, we're going to get some stones out of the middle of the river, uh, starting in about verse number 8 or so. He says, so the Israelites, uh, no, verse 7, when they crossed the Jordan, the waters of, of the Jordan were cut off, uh, and these stones are going to become a memorial to the people forever. 
Um, so, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took 12 stones from the, the middle of the river Jordan, and um, they put those stones down on the other side. He set up the 12 stones uh, that had been in the middle of the, jo- the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they're there to, that, uh, to this day. And what's exciting is down in verse number 21, he gives them the reason. He says, in, he says to the Israelites, in the future... When your descendants ask their father, why, why do these stones, uh, what do these stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea. In other words, this is a memorial. This is a, a chance for there to be a celebration of God's faithfulness. And then he did it again with Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 7. When, when he's uh, noting his win uh, over the, the Philistines, he subdued them there. And, and he says, he raises up his Ebenezer stone. Thus far, God, God has, uh, thus far, God has helped us. So those are memorials, a, a, a way of celebrating God's faithfulness, to rehearse it, to mark what he did there. There's a, there's a second way in the Bible we see a lot of celebrations, um, they're in the form of, of feast days or festivals. Um, in Leviticus 23, turn in your Bible there and you can just kind of glance through the whole chapter. It's repeated again in Numbers 28 and 29 and then a little bit in Deuteronomy 16. But, but these are the seven feasts that were observed both as a civil and a religious celebration. You know, they were an agrarian society, so they were going to mark both the beginning and, and the end of, of their harvest cycle, of their planting and harvest. So um, these festivals, uh, many of them, mark the beginning or the end of a harvest. They also, a couple of them, commemorate major historical events in the lives of the nation. And in your notes, I, I laid out for you the four that were the spring feasts, and then there were uh, three that, that occurred in the fall. And, and each of these feasts were a time to remember, a time to celebrate, to offer thanksgiving, to, to, to rehearse the faithfulness of God. In, the, in this spring feast, it started with Passover, and that was celebrated on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. And um, that obviously is commemorating the time uh, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he had them... Um, before the actual exodus mark the the doorposts of their home with with blood and the death angel would know where to pass over and so the firstborn of the family would not be killed that the passover that happened because they applied the blood was a, a, a tremendous opportunity to start their the year with great celebration to remember God's uh, incredible graciousness to them even as they began their journey and also celebrated right about that same time as the Passover was the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, remembering that they carried unleavened bread with them as they, as they went on the Exodus. And, and the third one that comes up in the spring is called the First Fruits, and it, it's celebrated at the beginning of the planting season, and it, and it really celebrates the, the fertility that they're, they're anticipating that God is going to provide them and their, and their fields and their crops. Again, all these celebrations focused on God's graciousness to them. And then at the end of the spring, uh, when it was harvest time, 
the the fourth spring feast, which is sometimes called the the, the, the feast of the harvest, or sometimes the feast of the weeks, or or in some cases the Pentecost. It was it was celebrated in the third month of the year, usually late May or early June, and it marked the the coming of the summer harvest. So those three spring feast days were great times of celebration for Israel. And then they had, um, or I think I said three, four spring feasts. There are three fall feasts, though. The first one is the, the Feast of Trumpets. And again, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, give it to you. This one's celebrated in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, around September. And it, and it is really focused on the liberty that the, the Israelites felt uh, in, their, in their new land. And so the trumpets would blow and tremendous celebration would take place. Also celebrated in that seventh month was the high and most holy day uh, of their celebrations, the Day of Atonement. And it was a day of, of great personal denial and, and personal and corporate uh, confession of, of sin. Um, the Day of Atonement was the high point of, of the Jewish calendar. And it was followed uh, a few weeks later in that same seventh month with the Feast of Tabernacles, or, or booths, as it might be called. Um, this feast was commemorating and celebrating uh, God's faithfulness to Israel as he wandered in the wilderness, and how God provided for them through that whole journey uh, on their way to the, the Promised Land. So one incredible example of celebrations in the Bible would be all the, all the feast days. And, and bear in mind that Three of those feast days were so special to the Israelites that as time went on, all of the, the young Jewish or all of the Jewish males from the age of about 20 on were required to, to travel actually to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate it. So every year for the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of the Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles, every Jewish uh, man was required, and often they would take their entire family, to travel literally, physically, to Jerusalem. And the celebrations that took place at that time were extraordinary. So memorials were a way that they celebrated. Uh, the feast days are a way that they celebrated. And then it, it occurred on all kinds of special events. Uh, I'm thinking of the time uh, in Ezra 6, when the temple got restored after the children of Israel came back from, from exile, Zerubbabel uh, led the effort. And while it was nothing like, like Solomon's temple, it nonetheless was a, a, a remarkable uh, repair job. And, and the Bible says in Ezra 6, after the, the restoration was completed, that the, the people celebrated with great joy a, an opportunity to, to mark the dedication of this restored temple brought out a, a corporate celebration. Um, a, a second one right on uh, the, in the, the same lines was the dedication of Solomon's temple. And, and in, in, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, Solomon is going to lead them. And it, and it says at one point, they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord. And he sent the people to their homes they were joyful and glad in heart for the good things that the Lord had done. See, these, these dedications were a chance for the people to stop their normal activity and celebrate. It was a spiritual discipline. It was an activity, a purposeful activity, we called it, 
uh, last week in the lesson that that aided in their in the growth of their their worship and following hard after God. So celebration was one of the ways that that they did that. They also had a great celebration at the dedication of the wall when Nehemiah got the wall around Jerusalem repaired. And in Nehemiah chapter 12, the Bible says that they offered great sacrifices and they were rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The the women and the children also rejoiced. And, And the Bible says that the sound of their rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. See, celebration is an important part a purposeful activity that that allows us and anyone watching believers to notice that our attention and our focus is on God's faithfulness. God clearly believes in celebrations. And even if you didn't want to think about the memorials or the feast and festivals or the dedication days uh, in the in the Old Testament, let, let your mind go to John chapter 2 and think about the very first time that Jesus allowed his his miraculous power to show. It was at a feast. It was at a wedding celebration. Um, Jesus was putting his his stamp of approval on getting together and celebrating. In this case, it was the the wedding of of a, of a young Jewish boy and girl. But but it could have been any other kind of celebration. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Um, Another writer says, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. I think sometimes people equate somberness or sadness or seriousness with some sort of hyper-spirituality. But the truth of the matter is joy is the touchstone of a believer. Now, not silly happiness, not not a trite uh, response to to things that might require a more serious response, but the deep-hearted joy that can only come from from recognizing God's faithfulness in spite of circumstances, which is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says to us, rejoice in the Lord uh, and and again, or rejoice always in the Lord. And, And again, I say rejoice. The celebrations of life, uh, whether they're small things on a personal level or larger, uh, remarkable things on a corporate level, God clearly uh, believes in celebrations. Um, you might want to stop and think for a minute about what what are the purposes of of celebrations? Why why do we why do we do them? Why are they marked in the scriptures for us so often? Well, I, I think the, the first and most obvious one is to help us to remember uh, we're flawed people and it's very easy to, to slide past and forget the graciousness of God. That's one of the values of journaling is that it gives us an ability to go back and go, oh yeah, I remember. That's what God did in that set of circumstances. And obviously what it does is it gives us some encouragement that in a new set of circumstances, we we can expect God to show up on our behalf as well. I uh, I think rehearsing God's faithfulness over and over again is is a very fruitful thing to do. Remember that that passage in First Samuel seven about the Ebenezer stone. Thus far, God has helped us, and and by extension, we fully expect Him to keep on doing that. 
so that one of the purposes of, of a biblical celebration is to, is to remember, to rehearse in our minds over and over again. It's, it's why married couples keep a part of their wedding cake in the freezer and pull it out at, a, at an anniversary, or why pictures are so important in people's lives so that they can take a look at them and remember. Um, there's a second reason why we, we have biblical celebrations, and that's to mark some sort of a major event. We want to make sure that that others can see God's faithfulness as well. Um, when when Joshua built his, remember one of his his comments was, "When when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? You can tell them the story. When you have pictures of major family events, and you're 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 going through albums, or you're going through your 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 digital files and and the kids get to see pictures that they, they 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 stop you and they ask questions gee what does this mean what does that mean how, how did this happen well in a spiritual sense those markers allow us to do the same thing when our descendants ask we're able to tell about the faithfulness of god and they, and they might as as a third thought they might memorialize a place you know, Abraham built an altar at a, at a specific spot to, to remember the place. Jacob built his altar um, at a specific place. Um, we do that in our culture. We put up statues, statues rather, um, in, a, in a battlefield or uh, in a place in a city where something remarkable happens. My father used to call those hysterical monuments instead of historical monuments. But they're, they're valuable as a society. They help us remember something remarkable happened at this place. I remember one time I, I took a friend on a, on a spiritual field trip. I wanted to show her all the, the early places that meant something to me in my spiritual life. So I, I drove her over to where my little apartment was uh, above a garage in Garden Grove. And my old mailbox I had painted it a, a horrible color of green, and it and it was still green. This is, I don't know, 10, 15 years later. And I was able to point to the place out on my balcony where, where I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I drove around the corner to the to the little bookstore, and I pointed out where I got my my first Bible. And a few blocks away, I, I showed her the church where uh, all of my early... Uh, growth uh, took place in in that little Baptist church, and I drove down the street and I pointed out a, a place uh, a block or two away where my ba- my van broke down. I was using a van to bring a bunch of kids from from the neighborhoods to to Sunday school, and I and I pointed out where my van broke down. And then I drove into a different neighborhood around the corner, and I showed where my my bus. I I graduated to a bus. And we had a contest uh, in uh, in a bus routes on who'd bring the most kids to Sunday school, and I and I showed where I let a kid bring a bunny on the bus so that I could count them as a living being and win the uh, the bus contest. I, I I just drove around marking spots within a you know seven or eight block radius of of all the incredible things God did in my life early on. That that's the that's the value. Of, of spiritual celebrations, remembering, rehearsing, marking events, or maybe memorializing places and events uh, where where God met us in a special way. We ought to ask ourselves, what are some of the elements of a of a true biblical celebration? Because a, a birthday party or um, 
a going away party or a retirement party. Those kinds of parties are not necessarily biblical celebrations, although they certainly could be. Um, but the elements of a biblical celebration are things like starting off with reflection and confession. Um, when Ezra, you know, was noting the, the completion of Zerubbabel's temple, uh, in, in talking about the offerings that they were going to offer for their sin, he said they offered up 100 bulls and 200 uh, rams and 400 male lambs, all of these for a sin offering. They took it seriously. The, the, the start of a biblical celebration uh, must have reflection and, and the confession that goes after that, after that reflection. If you're having a personal celebration with the Lord, you want to start with, with your own confession of sin, um, and then you're gonna you're gonna move to Thanksgiving. Um, I want to look at some some verses in Isaiah. Uh, so we'll start with Isaiah nine, because Thanksgiving has got to be a huge part of of a biblical celebration, whether it's personal or or corporate. And in uh, Isaiah chapter nine, verse number three, the Bible says this: You have enlarged the nation. And increase their joy, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing dividing the plunder. They rejoice before you. There's thanksgiving. You did these things, you enlarged the nation, you increased our joy, and, and we stopped and, and are saying thank you. Um elements of a, a, a true biblical celebration have to have to have a great deal of focus on on our gratitude and appreciation to the Lord for, for what he's done in, in our lives. And then the, the third element of a good biblical celebration would be lots of praise and worship. And in Isaiah, we're staying in Isaiah for a second. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. So you're going to shout aloud, sing for joy. Um, the, the, the praise and worship that, that comes out of our hearts, uh, it takes many forms and, and a fourth form might be music itself. Um, as, uh, as I'm taping this, uh, last night, uh, a friend and I wanted to, uh, do worship a little different. So we grabbed an old, uh, song book, um, probably borrowed from one of our early church experiences and, and uh, we just started at the hymn number one and tried to sing as many as we could. We got to hymn 28, I think it was. A couple of them we didn't know. But, but the, the celebration of God right there in, in the dining room focused on praise and worship and music. And then sometimes it has a physical expression too. Celebrations uh, often take a physical form. In Second uh, Samuel 6, when, when David's involved in bringing the ark back to Jerusalem he he is he is physically rejoicing that celebration was a big deal he's he's running around dancing if you remember his wife was uh, mortified and didn't want him to do it but the elements of a biblical cele- uh, celebration have to include things like confession and thanksgiving and lots of praise and worship with music and maybe some physical expressions um, like dancing or raising our hands or, or a number of other things that, that would be a physical way, an external way to show what's going on in our hearts. Now, when all of that's said and done, what are, what are the results of a, of a biblical celebration? What, 
what does celebration as a spiritual discipline uh, bring us? How how does it help us get the life that we've always wanted? What what does this purposeful activity of celebration produce in our lives? Well, I think first off, um, it it, uh, it brings perspective because it starts with reflection. If we're going to start with reflection in the celebration, that reflection is going to help us stay in the moment. You know, it it it'll 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 focus our attention. It'll move that focus off of ourselves and and onto the Lord. And and it may help us savor some of the the very simple goodnesses of of God. So a celebration when it's done right as a as a form of a spiritual discipline, it it begins with reflection and that reflection is going to force perspective. You know, um, even during these days when we're all sequestered away in our homes, um, Psalm 118 verse 24 is so appropriate. Um, it, the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every morning for the past 37 and a half years, the students of Stony Brook have have done that as kind of a refrain. The administrator will say, this is the day the Lord has made. And the kids will respond, uh, let us rejoice and be glad in it. See, that's the reflection that brings perspective. And it ought to be um, the part of our of our biblical celebration that, that helps us move off of us and, and onto a focus of God. A second result, I think, that will come from biblical celebration is, is the presence of joy. Now, again, I'm not talking about the, the shallow uh, happiness that comes when things are going our way or uh, we have pleasant circumstances or we got something we wanted. That's just shallow happiness. Nothing wrong with that, but it, it doesn't last. Joy lasts. And more importantly, joy is, is the ingredient that provides strength for the journey. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 8, as part of that that uh, passage about celebration, it, the, the Bible very specifically says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I remember um, uh, my my mother was uh, very, very ill and ended up passing away, and I flew to Florida to, to visit with her before she was gone. And the verse that I had in my heart the whole the whole weekend, uh, which was a very difficult weekend, was that verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I remember trying to sing that that little chorus to my mom. It's it's the truth that joy is the substance, the, the strength that allows uh, us to get through the wide variety of, of, uh, of circumstances that, that, that are presented in life. And, and one of the great results of this biblical celebration is we get additional amounts of, of joy, and those additional amounts of joy provide strength. They, they, they thirdly, um, celebration events give us the kinds of tools that we need to deal with, with anxiety um, and, and, and or more specific trials in our lives. Um, Psalm 94 Uh, Verse uh, 19 says, When anxiety is great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. When anxiety is great within me, boy, we're we're in a a 
season, a time of great anxiety. And, and the Bible is saying that his consolation brings joy. When we celebrate his faithfulness, we can expect to have some tools to deal with, with our fears and our concerns and our anxieties, or even just the trials of life. Um, when there is a biblical celebration, when there's reflection and confession and thanksgiving and worship and music and dancing and a chance to mark and rehearse God's faithfulness, yeah, we're going to walk away with some tools that help us uh, in, a, in a difficult time. And lastly, I think one of the results of biblical celebration is the fact that it, it truly begins to transform our lives. We are, we are able to feed on it, and our, and our faith grows. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse numbers 8 and 9, the Bible says this, though, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, you, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Godly celebrations that rehearse and remember God's faithfulness do transform us and they feed us. The life that we've always wanted, yeah, it requires some, some personal discipline, some spiritual discipline. And one of those activities, one of those purposeful activities is celebration. And so, so I, I'm praying that your life, both personally and in whatever groups that you can gather together, uh, that th- those, those moments are spent in celebration of God's faithfulness. Well, as we close out the lesson today, we, we get to this so what part, and there are some questions we ought to consider. So the very first one I put down is, do you find it difficult to focus on joy in your life? Is it hard for you? And if so, why? Second question is, is celebration, either personally or in a group, a vital part of your personal spiritual disciplines? And again, if not, why? Third thought and question would be, can you identify in your life a few people that you regularly celebrate the goodness of God with them? And they seem to be those kind of people that effortlessly pass it along to others. Maybe more specifically, are you a joy carrier? And lastly, on the practical side, have you ever memorialized a moment with the Lord? Did you, did you ever go out in your garden and set up a stone monument to remember a particular blessing of the Lord? Maybe your family gathered around, you did it. Uh, memorialized it with prayer, and then as years go by, you you and your kids have got a chance to to walk outside and look at it and remember God's faithfulness. Or maybe personally, you ever wrote a song or a poem or a, a blog about something God did that, that was so remarkable in your life, and now you can share it and remember. Or taking a picture of something that was important about God's graciousness, and now you can share it with someone else. Well, if you haven't, this is the week. Go do so. Thanks for listening. It would have been no fun without you.